Hey, everybody. Welcome into the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy. Coming up in a few minutes is Congressman Dean Phillips. But first, thanks for tuning in today. We appreciate you listening, and we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com and or post on our social media, and we'll read some feedback next time. And if you like the podcast, please follow or subscribe, and you'll be notified every time we post a new episode. Representative Dean Phillips is a third-term Democratic congressman from Minnesota's 3rd District and is running for president against incumbent Joe Biden. He serves on the House Foreign Affairs and Small Business Committees and the Subcommittee on the Middle East, North Africa, and Central Asia. Known for his bipartisan approach to governing, he is a current member of the House Problem Solvers Caucus and previously served as its co-chairman. Congressman, welcome into the back room. Good to be with you, Andy. So as a, uh, a fellow Jew, first thing I want to say is happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. In fact, I went to a menorah lighting in Concord, New Hampshire last evening, which was quite an experience, especially this year. Was there security there? I mean, I drive past synagogues now, and I'm amazed that the New York City cops are parked outside with the lights flashing like nonstop, yeah. like uh, on patrol. No, it's, and it saddens me. On one hand, of course, it makes some of us feel better uh, when we see that presence. Uh, other times it makes us feel insecure when we see none of it. Uh, I did not see extra presence last night, I'll confess. Mm -hmm. But I, since I have to travel with security, I felt more secure probably than most. And it's true. I'm sure everybody there, mm -hmm. and not just Jewish people, by the way. It was a beautiful confluence of uh, Jewish people, Muslim people, Christian people, and I'm sure others mm -hmm. uh, supporting the community. And it was a really, and it was a cool event right in front of the State House in Concord, New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. And um, I, it, it, I got to tell you, it felt nice. It felt nice because I didn't anticipate it. I happened to be walking by, and to see a community come together and uh, support one another was a reminder of the best parts of America, and I'm seeing that every day as well. So all yeah. is not lost, but no, a lot and, of work. No, and hopefully oh. a reminder that mo most people in America are good, decent people. By the way, Andy, that's yeah. the problem. Angertainment. I call it angertainment. You mm -hmm. turn on the evening cable news. It's not really news. They are dividers. Uh, very highly paid, very successful dividers. And everyone watching and listening knows what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And they would have us believe that we are far more divided than we really are. And I'm discovering every day, and that's the beautiful part of campaigning for president, that it puts you in the places where real people are, not TV screens, not Washington, D.C., you know, really extraordinary people of all politics and backgrounds and races and religions and geographies who have been remarkably kind, thoughtful, welcoming, hospitable, and extraordinarily decent. Mm -hmm. So you have an interesting background. Your father was killed in Vietnam when you were very, very young. Um, your paternal step-grandmother, Pauline Phillips, is Dear Abby, was Dear Abby. That's right. Yeah, that's right. She was my grandma. I, I was adopted by an amazing father. Uh-huh. Uh, married oh, okay. my mom and uh -huh. a great family, and she, she, I lived in a household full of advice. Let's put it that way. I was going to ask you, was it just like constant, like uh, grandma, enough, enough? Okay, <laughs> like I know, I know. Well, in fact, not only was it, I mean, first of all, the advice was wonderful advice, but my grandma Abby would regularly send letters that she received from kids, whether I was in elementary school, high school, even college. She would send my brother Tyler and me letters from young people, and simply wanted us to share our perspective. Uh, we helped her a little bit, uh, enlighten her as to the issues of the day back in the 80s in particular, and that was how she operated. She didn't just make it up herself or think she had all the answers. She actually did what I'm doing right now, went out and listened to people who uh, needed to be heard. And um, it was a remarkable experience. And by the way, it was she, my grandma Abby, who anointed me a Democrat 
at a dinner in 1980 after I'd seen um, John Anderson, the congressman from Illinois, a Republican, mm -hmm. who was running as an independent for president in 1980. He spoke to my middle school uh, assembly one day, and I told her about it that night at dinner. She asked me if I was a Democrat or Republican. I said, Graham, I don't even know what those are. I'm 11 years old. And she said, you're a Democrat, Dean. And that's why I'm probably doing this today. Mm -hmm. Do you talk much about her on the campaign trail? Yeah, you know, Andy, it, it, you, you'll understand that for a certain generation, it's a great connection point. Sure. Uh, the number of people, the number of people, um, especially who grew up in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, even the early 80s, you know, they remember Dear Abby and Ann Landers fondly because sure. many of them, many of the people I see right now on the campaign trail are people that wrote letters, you know, lovelorn letters, uh, right. struggling with their struggling with their parents or their relationships or their sexuality or other issues that at that time, nobody had access to any counseling or uh, mentorship or uh, even sometimes friendship. And the sad truth is even in 2023 in America, the fact of the matter is, I think our problems have grown and the lack of emotional and mental health care for those who really need it remains just as absent now as it did then. And that's tragic. Hmm. It is tragic. A lot of that is lost on our society today. Um, who are your yeah. early inspirations coming up? So my earliest, well, I'll tell you that once I, you know, when I learned about my story, which of course as a young boy, uh, I didn't understand, but once I understood how lucky I was, how fortunate I was, um, it really changed me. I, I remember a trip that my father, my adopted dad, Eddie, took um, with me and my brother. Uh, we went to Ecuador, went to South America, and we were spending a night in Quito, Ecuador, and I remember so vividly uh, looking out our hotel window one night because we heard some noise, my brother and me. We looked down and there were a bunch of kids our age, literally sleeping on cardboard uh, on the sidewalks below. And I never had seen that before. Mm -hmm. You know, I never seen kids suffering uh, like that as a as an American. And I remember thinking how my dad had done that intentionally to to expose that to us. Um, he was a huge influence on me. He passed away about 12 years ago. Uh, not just that he adopted me and nurtured me, but uh, made sure I had life experience that recognized my privilege, my good fortune. You know, politically, Hubert Humphrey, I have to tell you, is someone who I think is underappreciated. I, uh, I was introduced to him as a young boy. He was a senator and, of course, vice president of the United States from Minnesota. Uh, most of the country does not know what he did for both the Jewish and the black communities in Minneapolis as a young mayor in the 1940s. Of course, after the war in the 1940s, GIs came back to America, and that's when they finally started to recognize the tragedy of anti-Semitism and racism, and that's when the civil rights movement really began, if you ask me. And what people don't know about Hubert Humphrey is he was invited to speak at the 1948 Democratic National Convention, very young mayor of Minneapolis, and he had a choice that day. He was gonna deliver a speech that he knew would risk his entire career in politics, and he delivered it anyway. And essentially what he said to the Democratic uh, nominee, um, yeah, the delegates gathered that day, he said, it's time for the Democratic Party to get out of the shadow of states' rights and into the bright sunshine of human rights. And I believe that sparked, literally, I think that was the spark that the party needed. Uh, Strom Thurmond left the auditorium that day with a number of delegates who were offended by the notion that the Democratic Party should be a party of human rights. And I will tell you that I think of him every day because it was he who said the moral test of government is how it treats those in the dawn of life, mm -hmm. uh, in the dusk of life, and in the shadows of life. Uh, he was an extraordinary influence on me. My mother, Didi, was an entrepreneur, uh, had a store in downtown Minneapolis uh, that introduced me to an extraordinary array of interesting people. It was the punk rock era. We had punk rockers, 
we had gay people, we had straight people coming in the store, um, young and old, rich and poor. It was a beautiful mosaic of America. And uh, my mother, as a young entrepreneur, uh, someone I honor to this day, so many influences. Um, and, and I'll tell you more recently, uh, John Lewis, uh, with whom I served in Congress uh, very briefly, mm -hmm. of course, passed away a couple of years ago. It was he who said, you know, everybody in this country came over on a ship, may have been a slave ship, may have been the Mayflower, may have been the SS Lawn that my great, great grandparents came over on. But he said, no matter what ship on which you came, we're all in the same boat now. And those are some of the most influential people and words and uh, uh, moments I've experienced in my entire life, and they bring me to this day. Mm -hmm. And so with these people and other thoughts you've had about public service, is that what made you decide to run for office in 2018? I'll tell you, Andy, uh, the most important influences are the two that I didn't refer to yet, and that those are my daughters. Uh, in 2016, I had already had a wonderful career in business. Uh, we built Belvedere Vodka uh, into a great brand and sold it. Uh, built Talenti Gelato into one of the biggest ice cream brands in America and sold that. And I just opened some coffee shops in Minneapolis because I was really excited to create a space where people gather. I, I recognized in my career in both business and nonprofit worlds that the country really needed gathering places, space and place to get to know each other. And I thought that would be my next pursuit. And I watched the 2016 election with my family. I recognized, like many, uh, that night that our country had changed forever. I was hopeful that it wouldn't change as dramatically as it did. But what really jarred me was waking up the next morning and the sound of my youngest daughter, Pia, uh, in her bedroom crying. And she had just recovered from Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, she's also a gay woman, and I did not know that at the time. Mm. But I could see fear in her eyes that I'd just never seen in my children before about their country. And we FaceTimed my elder daughter, who was at college, and I sat at the breakfast table that morning, and I promised my daughters that I would do something. I'd raised them to be participants, not observers. And I endeavored to run for Congress because of that very moment, recognizing that I had taken this for granted. And it was a responsibility of me, uh, everybody who was in a position to do something, to defend the country, to resist what I consider to be the most dangerous president in American history. And that's what I did. So uh, my daughters inspired me. But more than that, they represent an entire generation that I believe inspired me to do something because it is our job to leave this country and the world in better hands in a better place than we found it. And the current generation of leaders are doing just the opposite. So let's talk about the campaign. And you know, to be frank, when I booked you to do this podcast, and I appreciate you coming on, and I know you obviously have taken a lot of heat for deciding to enter the race, and a lot of people have mixed feelings about that. I'm one. I mean, there's a, you know, I, I could see you know, we do live in a democracy and whoever wants to run should run. But you said some things before about Trump being a very dangerous threat to democracy, things like that. And when I spoke to people, friends of mine, and I said, oh, I got Dean Phillips coming on, like almost uniformly, people were like, just, can you please just ask him, what the hell are you doing, man? And so I want to ask you, what are you doing? Because you politically align yourself with Joe Biden straight up and down for the most part. And knowing the threat to America that Donald Trump poses if he becomes president again, mm -hmm. doesn't it, isn't it a risky thing for you to be doing right now? Well, Andy, the risky thing to be doing is allowing Joe Biden to be our nominee to take on Donald Trump because every single poll is saying he's going to lose. The battleground polls, Andy, every single one of them, they're getting worse. His approval numbers are now at 
37%. Mm -hmm. I mean, remember Ronald Reagan said, are you better off today than you were four years ago? Can anybody, anybody make the case that Joe Biden is better off electorally or otherwise than he was four years ago when he won by 44,000 votes in just three states? So my request to everybody, and I say this really thoughtfully, Andy, the ones who are saying, what are you doing? I have to say the opposite. What are we doing? What are we doing? And the problem is we have been deluded into thinking that if an incumbent president wishes to run again, which is a personal decision, by the way, mm -hmm. if a personal decision is made that we simply have to go along with that individual, that is the antithesis of democracy. It is exactly what you just said. That's a coronation. That's a king. That when they make the decision of who's going to run and who's going to be the president, and I wouldn't do, I would never put myself, my family, my future through this, believe me, if Joe Biden was well positioned to win. This is a man I've respected. He's been in my home for a fundraiser that I threw. I've flown with him on Air Force One. I've supported his agenda for which I have voted and helped market as a member of the House Democratic leadership team. Mm -hmm. This is a man I've admired. In 2020, I did everything I could to make sure he won because he was the only person that I thought could actually beat Donald Trump. But that was 2020. And 2024 is a very different world. So to everybody who wants that question answered, I have to turn it back to you. Uh, what are we doing? Well, let me, let, we let me just doing? push back a little bit on some of those things. Polling over the last several years, we know has not been accurate. I mean, the, the Republicans were supposed to win the House by 40 to 60 seats. They won by about four. Uh, Bill Clinton, Obama, Reagan were all trailing poorly in similar moments in time before the next presidential election. I'm not saying we should ignore the polls, and the polls are certainly frightening as hell. They should not be where they are. Donald Trump and Joe Biden should not be running neck and neck. Biden's approval should not be 37%. But I just want you to bear with me just for a second, because I want to, sure. because this is a really important subject. And when you consider the accomplishments of Joe Biden, mm -hmm. and I understand all the issues about age and mental acuity, and I say issues, I really mean accusations, which I think largely are unsubstantiated. But when you consider the American Rescue Plan, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, first major gun reform bill passed in decades, CHIPS, infrastructure, student debt relief, which brought $132 billion for more than 3.6 million Americans, the economy, which literally is on fire uh, just today alone, another 200,000 jobs, unemployment down. His leadership on the global stage with regard to the war in Ukraine, his stewardship in the situation in Israel, uh, his support for NATO, the allies. So I really got to ask you, can you give one example, one tangible example of where Joe Biden's age has prevented him from doing his job? So what is the issue? The issue is Americans have made a different decision than you, Andy. Simple. In what sense? Americans have, made it, Americans have made a different decision than you. And by the way, what you just shared is exactly what I had been saying for the last, well, I've been a member of Congress for five years. It's what I was saying for the last year. My job, by the way, on House Democratic leadership, I was on the communications team. My job was to market those great successes, tell the story of Bidenomics, of the packages, by the way, that we passed, that we passed mm -hmm. in concert with the House and the Senate, of course, and the White House, of which I'm very proud. And what you just said is exactly what I had been saying for the last year and a half. My job as a representative, I listen to people every day in the street. 
every day here in New Hampshire where I'm campaigning. I travel the country, of course. That's my job is mm -hmm. to listen. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that Americans have made a different decision than you. And frankly, they made a different decision than I had. And just so I understand yeah. you, that decision, so that I'm clear, is that you're talking to a lot of people who feel that he is too old for the job and can't get the job done. Andy, when I say I'm asking people every day I have for the last six weeks since I announced my campaign, I ask people every day a very simple question. Um, are you ready for change? Do you want change? And I found three people, three people in six weeks in one state, in fact, they're all in the same place. Three people that said, no, I'm, I don't want change. I want I want the status quo. That's, that's of course, that's just anecdotal, of course. You know, anybody can say polls are propaganda. It's too early. It's only a year out. But I got to tell you, everybody, uh, first of all, I see some really detailed polling, and I'm with people every day. And what you just said is reasonable. I think Joe Biden is a good man. Mm -hmm. I think for an 81-year-old, he is quite remarkable, actually. But Americans have made a different decision. And by the way, if John, Donald Trump was not the likely nominee, by the way, almost certain to be the GOP nominee, mm -hmm. I don't know if I would have done this either. By the way, that's exactly what Joe Biden said the other day. If it wasn't Donald Trump, he said, I'm not sure I would have done it. So here's the problem, Andy. Mm -hmm. and, this is, and by the way, you said something else that is the massive issue facing the country right now. 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. 40% cannot afford a $400 emergency repair. Life is totally unaffordable for the over a majority of Americans. So what is happening is exactly what you just said. The Biden administration has done a nice job managing the macro economy, along with, frankly, all of us in Congress who have been supporting that with legislation. The fact of the matter is all of that benefit, all of the growth in GDP, right? All of the wage growth, uh, so much of that economic growth that we are witnessing right now is accruing to a very small handful of mm -hmm. Americans in a significant manner. So here's the truth, Andy. Most Americans are frustrated and furious that their government and their president is telling them that things are really good. And I'm just telling you this is someone who is doing this every single day, and that's I'm so glad you're having me on because what your perspective is is totally reasonable. Mm -hmm. And I have to be forthright and, and respectful when I say it's also diluted because that's why we are seeing the numbers we're seeing. They're not fake. These polls that called those elections in early November in Ohio and Kentucky. Those are real. If people think it's going to get better, by the way, they might. There's definitely by truth the to what might. you're saying about two economies. Uh, I have three adult children. One of them had to move out of state because, uh, unlike me, uh, decades ago, uh, she and her husband and their small children can't afford to live in New York City. And I get that. And I understand that is a real problem in this country today. The economy is seemingly serving one segment of the population much better than it is another. Look, the gods of podcasting would slap me if I didn't ask this next question. Sure. And that is, you're citing polls, yet your polling is 3 to 4%. Of course. So I've been, are people I've not saying, we don't want Dean Phillips? Well, Andy, I mean, this is part of the delusion. I mean, I've been in this race for six weeks. Uh, you don't know my name yet because... I haven't done what every member of Congress and every political star right now has done, which is be a jerk. If you want to be well-known, you raise a lot of money, you raise your national profile. Angertainment does not want the people on there are doing the hard work. You know, the vice chair, I was of the Problem Solvers Caucus, 32 Democrats, 32 Republicans mm -hmm. that are the workhorses, not the show horses. And Andy, at the end of the day, there are two things here. That I, and by the way, we could talk about this for hours. The fact of the matter is, listen to James Carville, for example. 
-hmm. who is respected by across the board by Democrats. He is screaming as loud as someone possibly can that we are you know what it right now. And no one's listening. Mm -hmm. And I spoke to him again yesterday, and he is trying to scream that as loud and clear as you can possibly imagine, because that's what he does for a living. He's yep. been through this many times before, mm -hmm. Andy. The truth is, like I said, Joe Biden has done a nice job. He's done a nice job. But I am only doing this because Donald Trump is coming back to the White House with this ticket. The Biden-Harris ticket is destined to lose. And I'll tell you, I have torpedoed my career in Congress. Uh, I will not be running again because it would be impossible in this uh, in this environment uh, that, of course, does not want to practice democracy. You know, we have primaries for a reason, to ensure that voters get the choice, mm -hmm. not the Democratic National Committee, not Joe Biden, not anybody else. And the truth is, you know, the, the Democratic National Committee, along with the president, are suppressing Democratic voters. They're doing it here in New Hampshire because they've said the delegates won't be seated, they, as you mm -hmm. probably are aware. Mm -hmm. The state of Florida Democratic Party said Joe Biden already won the primary. I mean, come on, seriously? He won the primary and they're allocating his delegates. State of North Carolina announced they plan to do the same thing. So why are we so afraid of practicing democracy when we Democrats are arguing that it is Donald Trump who is the risk to democracy? Mm -hmm. And yet when we are given an opportunity to offer a thoughtful alternative, a well-prepared you know, man of competency and decency and experience, uh, which I am, why is that so frightening to people? And I'm concerned about what we're facing, Andy, because People can dismiss the polls. You know, approval numbers you can't dismiss. Let's just compare Donald Trump to Joe Biden. Donald Trump had three and a half points higher approval numbers as of a few days ago compared to Joe Biden right now. And the fact is the country has made its decision. Uh, and Joe Biden is not just losing the support of independents, moderate Republicans, and moderate Democrats. He is hemorrhaging support from young people, from the black community, and now from the most progressive Americans who are disappointed in him relative to his handling of the situation in the Middle East. So if everybody wishes to stay deluded and walk into this race like we did in 2016 and believe that we should anoint one person, coronate one person, versus ensure at least we have two thoughtful options, I think that is the most dangerous thing we could do. And what you just shared is exactly what a lot of, where a lot of people are at. And I'm asking people just to open your eyes, read the numbers, and here's the most important one. If you don't believe in the polls that are saying that he's going to lose, you know, at least look at the numbers that have been published in two separate polls recently, which show that uh, Donald Trump will beat Joe Biden by about four points in the uh, battleground states. And of course, those numbers could change. But right now, down by four points. But an unnamed generic Democrat who would be on the ballot instead of Joe Biden would beat Donald Trump by eight points, which is a 12-point difference. This is from the New York Times-Siena poll. And I'm telling you, Andy, that is all the evidence I think anybody needs to know that there is a massive disconnect between what Washington would have you believe and Joe Biden would have us believe and the reality of what the country is saying. That's why 70 some percent of the country is saying they don't want either Joe Biden or Donald Trump. So if everybody feels great and that things are swimmingly going along just great and uh, Joe Biden is perfectly positioned to win again, my goodness, if I saw one thing that indicated that, Andy, I would never do this. You're expressing a very rational hypothesis here about the, the, the state of the campaign and the election right now. But there are people who say a year in politics is a lifetime. Donald Trump's facing four criminal trials and a, and a devastating civil fraud trial in New York. Projecting out where we're going to be a year from now when there's so many moving parts to this, 
Uh, I think you're right. I think any Democrat, any liberal who stands here today and says there's no way this is going to happen. At the end of the day, Biden will get reelected and we'll all march off into the sunset and live happily ever after. That's absolute stupidity. I agree with you 100%. I think the key where, where it gets different for some people is saying, knowing all that, why would anybody, anyone do anything that could possibly draw support away from Joe Biden in what we know based on history, is going to be a contest, at least with Joe Biden, and most likely based on what we see right now, although that can change, Donald Trump. You know that it's, it's, it, there's just almost an impossibility that you can become the nominee. So knowing that in, in these tumultuous times where our democracy has teetered on the brink in many ways, is, is it just not impractical and in, and at best and worst case dangerous to do anything that would draw support away from Biden? We know that when people primary incumbents, they're doing so because they want to win. And when they want to win, they end up saying things that the opposition in a general election uses against them. See, even Dean Phillips said this. Well, Andy, first of all, I have great respect for you, and I have to be forthright. Uh, this is what I'm confronting right now, is the delusion that we are well-positioned to win. And I'll tell you, if I declared my candidacy after Joe Biden was ahead in the polls, even by a little bit, if Joe Biden's numbers were in the mid-40s, let alone 50% that you really need to ensure that you're going to be successful as an incumbent, if any of these things were true, I never would have done this because you're right. Then anything I would do, you could see the downward tracking mm -hmm. in support. The fact of the matter is, not only am I not responsible for his positioning, his terrible weakness in positioning, I tried to help him as a member of the House Democratic leadership team for the better part, for his term. And I'm telling you, Andy, this is the problem, is I am not the one that's responsible for the circumstance. I lived through 2016 just like you because of the same people who were saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton, by the way, Hillary Clinton was ahead in the polls. And we did the same thing, thinking she's ahead, so we don't need to have really any, you know, any serious competition, of course, right? Well, look at what happened. By the way, Donald Trump's numbers are always higher than polls indicate. And there, I can talk about that for a long time, about why. That's the truth. The fact of the matter is Joe Biden is losing. His numbers are getting worse. He's 81 years old. The country has decided, not me, the country has decided that they do not want him to be the next president. And the people with whom I'm meeting every day, the ones, the independents, the moderate Republicans, never Trumpers, that voted for Biden last time because they recognized the tragedy. Believe it, I'm telling you, Andy, they're not doing it again. And if you look at the youth vote, if you look at the black vote, if you look at the Muslim vote, if you look at the independent, the moderate Republican vote for a man who barely won in 2020, I'm just telling you, and I'm not, I'm not going to convince you, I can tell, and that's not the point. But the other point is this. What we're doing right now is tragic, and I would not put myself through it. Here's the other part. Americans are suffering really badly right now. We have war in the Middle East. We have war in Ukraine. We have a southern border that is an unmitigated disaster and an embarrassment, not just for Democrats. It is for the country. It is a problem that has existed for years. Mm -hmm. We have so many crises in this country. And to think that people who have been in positions of power for 50 years are going to, A, succeed, and B, doing it the same way, the same tools, the same people, the same way, and then we're going to have different outcomes, uh, that's another delusion. And I'll tell you the other thing, Andy, is that We've got an artificial intelligence revolution coming right down the pipeline. 
right down the pipeline, it is going to be the most magnificent benefit to the United States when we see how it can reduce prices, improve health care outcomes, do things that are unimaginable right now. It is also going to disenfranchise millions and millions of Americans, going to fundamentally change our economy. Leadership means going upstream, anticipating events before they happen, and make sure you do something to prevent them. Mm -hmm. That means war in Ukraine. That meets the circumstance in Israel. That means addressing the issue at the border. And that surely means addressing artificial intelligence before it gets here. President Biden cannot do it. Certainly, President, former President Trump cannot do it. And I'm, I'm going to make the argument, this is not just about someone needs to do it other than Joe Biden. This is about leading the country to a brighter future and to an optimistic one. No, I, I, someone get, who is, I get all so that. Andy, and I, I just got to go yeah. back to, you know, I, I agree with so much of what you're saying. I, I really do. And I think it's important for you to know that. And I think a lot of people agree so much with what you're saying right. in terms of what we need and what we're lacking right now. Sure. But again, when you consider that folks like you and Cornell West, Marianne Williamson, and you got Bobby Kennedy, collectively, all of these little nibbles coming from various people are going to hurt Joe Biden. And so I think a lot of yeah, people yeah. like me can't escape thinking, it, now is now the time to do this kind of thing? Absolutely, 100%. But you're polling. You cite and, polls all the time. You're polling at 3 to 4%. Oh, oh, Andy. So yeah, let me get to that. Okay. My polling at 3 or 4% in the first month of my candidacy, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed I'm that high, to be honest with you. And watch every week, every month as they release polls, those numbers will go up. Watch what happens in New Hampshire on January 23rd, the first time we actually allow Americans to share their opinion about what they think. In Will you election. come back? If, you, if those if those numbers don't come in the way you were saying, can we come and have this conversation again yes, after New Hampshire? Of course, of okay. course. And because I'm a realist and I'm a man of integrity and mm -hmm. decency, and most of all, I want to defeat Donald Trump. And right now, we are being diluted by MSNBC and by the Washington Industrial Complex that all is well. It's the same stuff that's been going on for years. And by the way, if it wasn't, we wouldn't be losing to nonsense, dangerous, horrific dictators like Donald Trump. That is the unbelievable irony of this conversation. Why in the world is every poll showing the president losing to this man? By the way, how did he beat Hillary Clinton? Because the country is saying something very different than the very small bubble that is MSNBC. And if you want to believe that, I totally respect it. But again, you Bill Clinton, Obama, that, Reagan. Reagan was polling a year out really shitty. Yes, of course. In the Democratic primary, my poll numbers are going to be awful for a while because there is an entire system designed to simply promote the incumbent no matter what. Forget the realities, forget objectivity, forget the polling, forget the focus groups. Talk to the pun talk to the people. I you should have James Carville on. I've had James Carville on. I've listened. I've heard him. I agree with what you're saying. I, it bothers me that he's he's so concerned. So listen to this. Let me make a proposition to everybody who shares your concern mm -hmm. and see if this is reasonable. OK, I'm running a thoughtful, spirited 21st century campaign to become the Democratic nominee for president. I think it's important that Americans have choices. I think that's why we have primaries. That is why I'm not running as an independent, because mm -hmm. I do not want to and I will not draw support from our eventual nominee because we got to beat Donald Trump. Let me make this simple proposition. Come May or June of next year, when national head-to-head -head polls of the forthcoming election, where it's going to be much closer by then, right? There will be head-to-head -head polls of me versus Donald Trump and Joe Biden versus Donald Trump, right? So let's say, hypothetically, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are beating 
Donald Trump in May, June of next year in the head-to-head -head polls. Reasonable people looking at the number of polls say, you know what, they're pretty well positioned. Mm -hmm. It would be incumbent on me to drop the race mm -hmm. and do everything I can to support them. Absolutely, and I make the promise to you and everybody watching. Conversely, conversely, if those polls show me defeating Donald Trump and Kamala Harris and Joe Biden losing to Donald Trump, what do you think we should do then, Andy? I think that would be a very different conversation then. I, I, well, that's so. But I'm, but I'm asking you. I'm what, not. What I'm you not arguing with you. I'm agreeing with well, you. There I, you have it. I think that's but, why I'm running for president because the absence of having even one alternative, one alternative, who might be better positioned by. By the way, the president yesterday, I'm sure his campaign is furious that he acknowledged the truth and said the quiet part out loud. He said there are at least 50 Democrats mm -hmm. that could beat Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. So let's have at least a couple. And by the way, Marianne Williamson is running as a Democrat, not as an independent. But mm -hmm. nonetheless, my point is just that rather than demeaning those who would have the audacity to practice democracy, provide the very alternatives that voters are asking for. By the way, you might not want it, but 70 percent of the country is saying they do. I think it's important. That I may want it at some point. And, and, and trust so me, if, if you're if you are the answer, I, like so many other people, will shift mm -hmm. gears in a nanosecond and support you in any way humanly possible. Uh, and that's all I'm asking yeah. for. That's and all so I'm asking for. And by the, let's just wait. Let's wait till May or June. Let me go through the process. Let mm -hmm. me meet the voters. Let me answer questions. Let me introduce mm -hmm. myself. I hope you'll ask me some policy questions. Sure. No, I want to do that now. This conversation wasn't supposed to be all about having you on the hot seat about why are you running, although okay. I think you know that if you're going to be in the kitchen, it's going to get hot, especially the way you've entered the race. You know, usually people don't primary incumbent presidents. Only do that when the incumbent president's going to lose, and that's why yeah. incumbent presidents... Well, I will grant you lose. for sure that we are living in extremely unusual times. Conventional yeah. wisdom flew out the window eight years ago, and so you could end up being 100% right. That said, tell me about your campaign in terms of what the specific issues are to you, on what level can you help America. Yeah. Tell us about Dean Phillips' candidate, not what Joe Biden is, but what do you bring to the table? Let me start with the fact that after beating Donald Trump, which is the most important policy issue and platform of my entire campaign. After that, here's how I will do things differently, and here's why. Uh, first of all, I represent a different generation, of course. And, if, and I've been a business leader. I served as the chair of the board of a health system, a regent at a university, uh, the board chair of a charitable foundation, and now three terms in Congress, a member of House Democratic leadership, and now I'm the ranking member of the Foreign Affairs Subcommittee on the Middle East, North Africa, Central Asia. Got some broad experience. When I'm president, I'm going to change a lot. We're going to have a bipartisan cabinet representing the best and brightest managers in the country, not political appointees of the same party. We're going to have a youth cabinet to bring young voices, high school and college voices from all around the country to deal with issues like social media, AI, gun violence prevention, and climate change. I'm going to employ zero-based budgeting. I'm going to have an outside consulting firm do an assessment of every single agency and program in the government. We are spending $2 trillion a year more than we generate in revenue. We have $33 trillion in debt, and we're going to be spending about $800 billion a year on debt service. We have a Pentagon budget of almost a trillion dollars, and they cannot pass an audit. This is going to change. We've never had a manager in the White House for a long, long time. Haven't had a balanced budget since Bill Clinton. That's one. I'm the second most bipartisan member of Congress. Mm -hmm. I take this really seriously, and I'm a progressive. Second most bipartisan member of the House, the Senate, and all 50 governors, because I work with anybody who can get stuff done, and I'm appalled and disgusted by an enterprise that is the U.S. Congress that would have all of its members spend most of their time raising money, 10,000 hours per week. 
I'm not beholden to anybody. I take no PAC money. I take no lobbyist money. I take no member money. And I do not have a leadership PAC. And that's exactly how I will conduct myself running for president, which makes my slope even steeper because I do not go into the pockets of anybody who would have influence on me that would be detrimental to the country. No other candidate can say that. As it relates to policy, the massive disconnect is what you already shared. We have a great economy. Joe Biden loves talking about the great economy. The fact is it is not a great economy for 60 some percent of Americans who are going to vote for Donald Trump this time if they do not see a candidate representing them on the Democratic side of the ticket. We have got to employ a strategy of national health insurance. We have to, we spend twice as much as any developed nation in the world. Our outcomes are mid-pack. We allow pharmaceutical companies to sell their products to us for three, four, five, six, eight times more than any other country in the world. It's appalling. It's time for everybody in America to have health insurance and access because 66% of bankruptcies are due to medical debt. Housing, we have a six and a half million unit deficiency in housing in America. 500,000 members, uh, Americans are sleeping in the streets at night, kids sleeping in trailers and in cars overnight, going to school hungry. Come on, we're gonna build 7 million housing units because I've had enough of that and it's appalling that no administration in recent history has ensured that is job one. Education, $1.7 trillion in debt, $85 billion in interest payments every year by children, their parents and their grandparents. We need to move, just as we did in the 19th, 20th century, from a country that only provided elementary school education, we introduced high school. The numbers from 1910 to 1940 went from 18% to 70%, kids going from elementary school to high school. The same thing should be true now with college and workforce development, um, Votex schools. Every single person graduating high school will need to be better prepared now and in the future than they are right now today because the AI revolution is coming down the pipeline. Groceries, when I was in the vodka business, retailers were not allowed legally to charge us for shelf space. They call that slotting fees. But if you sell butter, if you sell bread, if you sell cereal, every retailer in America almost is charging for those shelf spaces, which makes the price of groceries higher. I know how this game is played because I ran businesses that had to play in it. It's mm -hmm. nonsense. Mm -hmm. You can go fuel. We are still a country that has not recognized that relying on fossil fuels is not just bad for the environment and our future, it is literally empowering our greatest enemies, Iran, Russia, even the Saudis. That's why we have to migrate to clean energy because it is a national security issue. The southern border, I've been there twice. It is an embarrassment, unmitigated. It is, it, it is hard to imagine how horrifying. And all we have to do is two things, improve security, by the way, both at the north and south border, but also change our asylum laws to make sure we adjudicate those cases in countries of origin, not make these poor people who want to become Americans spend eight to $10,000 per person, giving it to the Mexican cartels to bring them across the border because that's what our law says they have to do. It's nonsense. The AI I talked about, we are so ill-prepared, Andy, for what is forthcoming. The job of the American president is to look to the future, to be bold, present a strategy, even if it's not popular in the beginning, and to make sure our country is prepared. And I'm telling you, Andy, he is not, and Donald Trump is even less prepared. That's my case. And lastly, this, we need to repair the country. My goodness, the biggest threat to all of us right now is national division. Joe Biden is a good man. He promised to restore the soul of America. It has not happened. It has not been intentional. That is my entire mission, and I'll close with this. 
I do a series at home called Common Ground because I've seen the destruction of the two parties pulling us apart. I get six Democrats and six Republicans to a table. I do it every six weeks or so back in Minnesota, facilitated by an amazing organization called Braver Angels. And what I've seen is this, we sit at the table, we break bread, we tell our life stories, we talk about healthcare, we talk about immigration, and we talk about national division. By the way, I've discovered by these gatherings, Democrats and Republicans hate insurance companies. They hate the fact that we are becoming a country that is not welcoming immigrants the way that our foremothers and forefathers were welcomed, and they hate national division. And at the end of these little sessions, we go around the table and everyone takes 30 seconds to share what they got out of this two-hour experience. And I had this circumstance late, right, recently that will sum this all up. Young woman, Emily, looks across the table at Dave and says, Dave, when you drove up in your F-150 with that Trump sticker, I almost got back in my car, left the parking lot, and drove off. I could not imagine walking in that building, let alone sitting at the table with you. But she said, Dave, I got to say, I am amazed that you're a great guy, and I really enjoyed this, and I want to say thanks. Gets around the table to Dave. He looks at Emily, and Dave says to Emily, when you drove up in your Prius... <laughs> I wanted to run it over, and I'm glad I didn't because I had never sat with a progressive before, and I think you're a really cool woman, and I learned a lot today. I just want to say thanks. And at that moment, the dyed-in-the-wool Trumper and the bleeding-heart liberal stood up, and in front of all of us at the table, they embraced. And I'll tell you, I will win the presidency, and when I'm in the White House, I'm going to host those very dinners in the People's House to make sure that Democrats and Republicans, Trumpers and Democrats, come together and demonstrate to one another that if you provide space and place, people will show that we are common, that we have common ground to do the common good. And my goodness, if we don't do that, Andy, and we think that Donald Trump or Joe Biden is up to that task, the fact is we're in deep, deep trouble. And that's my case. And I want a thoughtful, optimistic, hopeful future for your daughters or your kids, mine, mm -hmm. and everybody watching right now. And I just think it's time for a new generation to take that torch from the West Bank to the West Wing, I think it's time, and I don't think the future will be that bright if the status quo persists because Donald Trump will be coming back to the White House and there will be no 2028, Andy, I'm telling you. Tell us about On the Job with Dean. On the Job with Dean is exactly what I do. Any business I encounter can sign me up for a two-hour shift. I wash plates, I change tires, I work at flower shops, I pour coffee. I've been doing it here in New Hampshire, by the way. It's not just because it's fun, which it is, it's because I get to sit in the back of the house in the kitchen with the, the workers who actually make this country happen. I get to sit in counters uh, with people who are really struggling, and I get to serve food to people who are looking for a little bit of dose of optimism. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, I wish Joe Biden, I wish Donald Trump, I wish every candidate would do an on-the-job with Dean, because when you do, you'll see about the future. It can be bright if we have a president that can lead us there, and that's what I'm going to do. I can't well, wait. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I, I think you did a great job telling us why you're running for president and what you would do as president. And no one can fault you for that. It's just, you know, crazy times we're living in and people are a little nervous, yeah. but uh, you, have, you certainly have a right to do what you're doing. And I think people will support you if it sort, sort of leads to a place where we should start supporting you. So well, again, thanks, thank Andy. And I hope you have me back. And I just ask people, vote out of hope mm -hmm. and vote for the future. Don't vote out of fear. That's what they want mm -hmm. us to do. They want us to be fearful. Just do your own investigations and get to know me, and I promise you uh, we're going to have a bright future. And um, I'd like to meet you. Yep. I'd like to meet you. Likewise, and we'd love to have you back on. So. Thanks, Bell. Hey, thank you. Keep the faith and keep in touch. Likewise. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. This episode of The Back Room was edited and produced by me, Andy Ostroy. It was co-edited and co-produced by Maddie Rosenberg and co-produced by Jen Hamoud. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Hollander. 
and our logo was designed by Cricket Langell. And special thanks to Patricia Wind. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast and also follow or subscribe. Until next time, keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and have a great week. Thank you.